0: you for listening to another inspiring message from the movement church to find out more about the movement church you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on facebook and instagram at the oc movement good morning man that was so good no try that again good morning Oh man, we're so glad you're with us. If you're here for the first time, then you know that the louder you are in, in talking back to me, the quicker I preach, the quieter you are, the longer I preach. So man, good morning. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, make sure y'all remove him as soon as the service is over. I'm kidding. Man, we're excited that you're with us, man. This is the final week of our series called Watchmen and Man, like Jeremy sh- said right when he ended uh, the worship journey today, I'm, I'm excited. This is a monumental day for the Movement Church. Next week, we celebrate our third anniversary. Come on, somebody. That's a big deal. And uh, this is our last Sunday in just one service. Starting next week, we'll be meeting at 9 and 10.45 a.m., and we're excited. is going to be at both services, and we hope that you guys are going to be a part of that, too, and... Man, it's an exciting day. And so we want to jump into this this sermon as we close out our series called Watchmen. But before we do that, would you guys just pray with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? God, we just thank you that you're here today. God, we acknowledge that you're doing something powerful in our midst. Lord, we know that Jesus is here, and that means that anything can happen. So God, we also thank you that tonight you're going to help the Dallas Cowboys win. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Uh, you can't boo a prayer. You can't boo a prayer. I'm, a, I'm pretty sure God's not happy with that, but uh, we'll see what happens. Pray for me. Pray for the Cowboys. Uh, that's biblical. Amen. So anyways, Watchmen, week number four of a series called The Watchmen. We believe at the Movement Church that if you say I'm a Christ follower, then you are actually called to be a watchman. If you're here today and you're not really sure where you are in your faith, or maybe you aren't, you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not all about this Christian stuff. Somebody just promised me a meal after church. Well, then awesome. We're glad that you're with us. You kind of get a hall pass on this next passage, and and uh, you get to kind of do whatever you want to do. But for those of you who are here today, and you say, man, I am a Christ follower, listen to what this passage of Scripture says for you and for me. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. And this is the message paraphrase. So, this is Eugene Peterson's kind of paraphrase of the scripture. So, check this out as they are working diligently on my microphone. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It says this I've made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, You are going to die, My scripture just left, sorry. If I say to the wicked, you're going to die, and you don't sound the alarm, warning them that it's a matter of life or death, they will die and it will be your fault. I will hold you responsible. Now that's a sobering passage, but it's written to you and to me, and it's basically saying this, that if we know the truth of God's word, and we do nothing about it, if we don't live our life in a way that exemplifies this, then we are responsible. And as part of this series, we actually wrote what we call a watchman creed. I want to read it to you. And I believe it's really for you and for me today. And this is how it reads. Holding the keys to hope, yet failing to reveal the truth, means that I am accountable as a watchman. As a watchman, I will stand for what is true. And I will be moved by compassion and driven by generosity. On my watch, I will pray for And invest in the lives of those around me. I will look for opportunities to share my story and my faith. I recognize the role I play is significant not only to my purpose. But the purpose of those that I influence. The time for action is now. I will no longer be silent. For I am a watchman. We believe this wholeheartedly, and that's what this series is about. This is more than a spectator series. This is a participatory series. I think that's a word. If not, it sounds amazing. Thank you for your laughter. This is a participatory ser- uh, series, and I just want to say it again. I feel smarter when I say that. And, and man, we want to encourage you to be a part of it. In fact, we've been... Traveling through the life of a man named Nehemiah, who's a character in the Bible, as we watch him take on this amazing adventure to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah was actually a captive, a prisoner, and was born into captivity in the land of Persia. And he heard about the people who were left in Jerusalem and the state of the wall that was in disrepair. And the morale of the people in Jerusalem mirrored that of the wall that should have surrounded them. And Nehemiah was filled with compassion and said, we must do something about this injustice. For the people there in Jerusalem are living lives not knowing their identity wandering aimlessly, and the problem is they're susceptible to any kind of attack because there was no real protection for them. So Nehemiah did a few things, and we've traveled through that over the course of the past few weeks, and the first thing that Nehemiah did, which I love, is he turned to God in prayer. As a pastor, I hear all too often, Pastor, I've done everything that I know to do. I've done every step of action. I've talked to everyone I know to talk to, and all that there's left to do, Is pray. That's become our last resort. And I wonder at times if God is insulted by that. Prayer should be our first. Our middle. And our last resort always. So Nehemiah said. Oh God would you hear my prayers. And listen to my cry. He prayed and he prayed that God would. Give him an opportunity to do something about the wall in disrepair. Next he went to the king and said. Would you send me to Jerusalem. To rebuild the wall. And the king did. And he sent him with notes and letters saying that he was under the authority of the king of Persia. And he went to the walls. And before he began to build, the Bible says that Nehemiah went out and he surveyed the wall. He went to see exactly how bad the damage was. Where do we need to work the most? And what gates need to be repaired? And in this journey, the first step for us was to pray. And the second step is to survey. That you and I are called to survey the walls of our life and find out where there's disrepair. Where there's areas that we need to do work and to hone in on. And find out what things we need to change or rearrange or remove. We're to pray. Next we're to survey. And then Nehemiah began the task of building. And last week we explored that. If you missed any of these series, we want to encourage you to check out our website. You can listen to all the podcasts that are up right now too. Last week we talked about the importance of building. all the people in Jerusalem came together. And they didn't necessarily have a skill set in the area of masonry, but they just came and brought the talents and the skill set that they have, which the best skill you can possibly have or ability that you can have is availability when it comes to serving God and your purpose. And last week we talked about how when we come together with our skills and our talents, with our weaknesses and our issues, and we say we're here to help God advance His purpose, We're going to build the walls of the church so that the people in this region can experience hope. We decided we're going to build, we pray, we survey, we build. And the fourth and final step is to invite. You say, invite, that doesn't sound like what Nehemiah did. Well, I think if you just roll with me for about 20 minutes now, I'm going to unpack for you this next chapter in Nehemiah's life as he and a few ragtag people come together for the purpose of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem to restore hope for the people who live there. We're going to dive through this and we're going to read in chapter 3. We've been going through this over the course of the last three weeks. And we, we find out here they've prayed, they've surveyed, and they've built. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, we find out a new saga. Something begins to shift in the story of Nehemiah as they're building. And chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now when Sanballat heard... Isn't that an awesome name? Awesome. That's what I'm naming my next child. When Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. So when Sambalat, the enemy who was outside the wall, heard that Nehemiah had come to restore the wall, and more importantly, to restore hope to the people of Jerusalem, he got together with his homies and they began to make fun of and mock the Jews. And this is important because when you commit your life to pursuing what God has for you, you need to know, like we talked about in week one, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. You're going to find somebody, you're going to, make, you're going to frustrate somebody in the process of pursuing who God is. Because there are people in your life, and more importantly, there's an enemy. The Bible calls him an adversary. Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, you call him whatever you want. Who's roaming the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's coming at you at all costs to stop and defeat you from accomplishing God's purpose for your life. In week two, we read this quote from one of the great theologians of the early uh, 1900s. It says this, There is no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. There's no victory without vigilance. For whenever the people of God say, Let us arise and build Satan says let me arise and oppose you need to know that every time you pursue God's purpose you're going to face challenges and that sounds so encouraging doesn't it thanks Pastor Kerry I'm so glad I came hopefully it smells like popcorn when I leave because then we'll redeem the day it sounds challenging right one of the verses that I like to quote as many times as I possibly can It's one of my favorite verses, and it was Jesus who spoke this. He said, hey, listen, in this life, you will have trials and tribulation. You're going to face some frustration. But he follows that sentence with this powerfully packed statement. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So I'm not here to discourage you, but just to remind you that when you pursue God's purpose, you're going to face some opposition. Listen to this, they go on in verse 2, it says, And he said in the presence of his brothers, this is Sanballat, and in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? You need to know that the enemy is always going to point out your weakness. Every time you pursue God, he's going to point out your weakness. He's going to tap on your shoulder and say, Do you remember that time when you did that thing? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you're gonna try to do something for God? Don't you realize how jacked up your life is? You don't have the skill set, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the information. You've only been in this church game for a little while, and you think you can do this? You need to know that every time you pursue God, the enemy is gonna point out your weakness. And here's the thing He's not creative. He comes at you in the same way all the time. If you're ever in a place where you feel discouraged, let me just say this right now. If it's not for you and for your future, then it's not from God. If it's not for you and for your future, then it's not from God. Why? Because the scripture says that God knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and to keep you, to give you a hope and a future. So if you feel like, I can't, this is impossible, it's too far removed, I've gone too far, I just don't know if it's in me, then you need to know that's not from God. That's the enemy trying to oppose you from accomplishing God's purpose in your life. How do we know that? From reading the scripture, reading the word of God. That's why every Sunday when you come in this building, you will hear the word of God read. Why? Because it's more powerful than anything this good looking white dude can tell you. Why are you laughing now? I really am white, I promise. It's more powerful. In fact, the Bible says it's got the ability to split and divide the things that we want and our desires, our flesh, and the things that God has for us. It has the ability to illuminate exactly God's purpose and plan for us. And we know God's promise for a future because we have it in the Word. The question is, what about the people who are far from God? who are going through life right now that don't know who God is, the purposes and the plans that they have, that He has for them. What about the 2.7 million people in this county right now who don't regularly attend church? What truth is being told to them? Who's speaking life and hope and a future? Let me just show of hands. Has anyone in this room ever felt discouraged like you just aren't good enough? Raise your hands. Thank you. The rest of you are liars. You're lying in church. But if you come to a church or you're engaged in relationships with people who say, I'm a Christ follower, then there should at least be a place where someone's speaking hope and future into your life. And if we have that here, what about the people who don't? What about the people who don't? People that are far from God. Listen to this next passage of scripture. They continue on. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? What about? Do they really think that they've got it? They're nothing. They're nobody. They don't have the strength to do this. Look at the wall. It's been like this for over 150 years. Who do you think you are? Not only will the enemy remind you of your weakness every time you pursue God's purpose, but he'll also try to isolate you to make you feel like you're alone in the journey. To make you feel like you are so weak because, and nobody else knows and nobody can understand or identify. The darkest seasons of my life were marked with isolation. It wasn't too long ago that I struggled very deeply with anxiety and feelings of great depression. Dark season of my life where literally I would sink into my couch and throw my hoodie up over my head and just feel like it was over. And you know who I talked to? Nobody. I felt like no one could understand what I was going through. I did everything I could to even hide it from my wife. I had feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, and the enemy was pointing out my weakness and reminding me of how I was doomed for failure because I'd always failed in the past. And then telling me that I was alone in the journey. I'm telling you right now when you pursue the purposes of God, He'll do everything He can to isolate you. You know what helped me get out of that season? Brothers in arms fellow friends, good friends of mine that finally called and said, man, I hadn't talked to you in three months. What's going on? said, I'm all right. And they said, no, what's going on? I've been praying for you. Man, I'm struggling with this and that. They said, man, that's not who you are. That's a lie from the enemy. The moment I stepped out of isolation is the moment the enemy began to lose. And we know this, it's not even just about the people in our lives, but the scripture says that God will never leave us Nor forsake us. Ever. That's a finite statement. In fact there's another passage of scripture that says. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not depth nor height. Nothing. There is nothing in this world. Nothing in you that can separate you from the love of God. Hey there's a powerful passage of scripture that says. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. So there's no isolation in this. But how do you know that? From reading the scripture. It's a reminder. It's a constant reminder that we are not inadequate. God has given us enough to make it through this. And we don't have to go through it alone. How do we know? By reading the scripture. Well what about the people. Who don't hear this on a consistent basis. 2.7 million people. In our county. Who don't attend church. And may not know the hope of who Jesus is. And may not have someone in their life reminding them, hey, God will never leave you nor forsake you. This may be challenging, but man, the scripture says that he began a good work and he will be faithful to complete it. He's got a plan. What about the people who have not hurt? What about the people who don't know? These are the people that are in your life. They live down the street from you, just like you. They get home from work, pull into their garage and shut the door behind them and go about living their life. Walk into a home to maybe a broken marriage or a teenager who's out of control. Maybe addicted to prescription medication or maybe just looking for hope for the future. You walk into your building at work next to them. They sit three cubicles down or they ride the same elevator. You meet them at the mailbox in your neighborhood. They're in line in Starbucks before you and behind you. Or they're brewing your drink. They're related to you. A cousin, an aunt, an uncle. Do they know that God will never leave them nor forsake them? Nehemiah's rebuilding the wall and he's facing opposition of epic proportion. And they don't stop. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? It's so feeble that if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. They're mocking them and doing everything in their power to discourage them. And I just think about the world that we live in. And though we may not actually have a physical adversary that people can see mocking and jeering, there are people walking through life and you know this because you've been here before feeling as though everything is hopeless. And I love Nehemiah's response to this. So not only did he travel to the homeland of his that he's never been to, and he's there to accomplish some great feat of strength, and he rallies people who are discouraged and frustrated with their life, and they say, okay, we'll bring our skill sets and our talents, and we will build the wall. In the midst of doing this, opposition comes in a great way. In fact, in this story, there was 10 assassination attempts on Nehemiah. The entire time they were rebuilding the wall, the enemy came at them again and again and again and again and again. And I love Nehemiah's response to this. As the enemy stands around and infiltrates the camp and begins to discourage and speak lies of isolation. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 6. Five words. So we built the wall. (laughs) I love it. So we built the wall. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together. So it may have slowed them down a little bit. But they started building. Bring on your opposition. Bring on your jeers and your comments and your mockery. We're going to build the wall. We came here to build a freaking wall. We didn't come here to leave. We didn't come here to quit. We came to build a sinking wall. So guess what? We're going to build a wall. I love that kind of resolve. That man, this is what God has called me to. And yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, there's times when I don't feel like we can make it. That I feel inadequate. But guess what? We're going to build a freaking wall. We're going to build a wall. We're going to build a wall. We're going to build a stinking wall. Why? Because that's what God created us to do. That's what God has put before us. I love it. They did not arrive to leave. Right? They did not get there to leave. They got there to do business, and that's what they did. I don't know why I'm going gangster, but I feel gangster right now. <laughs> they got there to build. They had, Nehemiah just had resolve, and I wonder, do we have that kind of resolve? I wonder how many proverbial walls God's called us to build, and yet when we face discouragement or feelings of inadequacy or isolation, We put down the trowel and we walked away. I know that I've been there in that season when I pulled the hoodie up. One of the darkest seasons of my life. I wanted to quit. I probably would have if it hadn't been for my friends. I wonder if we've got that kind of resolve. We've come to build a wall. We've come to do work. I love this. Nehemiah doesn't just say, we built the wall. He gets a plan, verses 11 through 14. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Let me just pause there for a minute. So this is the enemy that comes in. They're like, you know, we're going to sneak in and we're going to destroy them. We're going to try to assassinate Nehemiah. We're going to do everything we can to stop. We're going to sneak in from the inside so that nobody knows what's going on. Do you know this? I'm I'm kind of taking a sidetrack. Let's just take a few moments. to Do you realize that these guys actually did not have authority to attack Nehemiah? They had written documents from the emperor, the president, the king of the entire land that he had the authority and the right to rebuild the wall. So the enemy had to sneak in with a sneak attack. Do you realize the enemy doesn't have an authority to attack your life? Do you realize that? If you said yes to who Jesus is, he was defeated at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, the debt was paid and he no longer has authority in your life. I love James 4, 7. It says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the authority that you have in your life. So when the enemy comes at you to bring frustration and discouragement and isolation, you just say, shut up. You don't have any power or authority in my life. Because I've said yes to who Jesus is. And then the next passage that follows this is James 4, 8. And it says this powerful scripture. Memorize this one. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you know how many people in this world are just desperate to know if there is a God and if he's real? And the promise is right here. Just draw near. What does that look like? I need you now more than ever. Would you just be real in my life? And not only am I going to pray this, but I'm going to pursue you with my actions. And he will draw near to you. The enemy didn't have authority over his life. So Nehemiah comes in with a plan. Verse 13 So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked around and arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. So Nehemiah says, fine, if you're going to bring opposition, we're going to build a stinking wall. I should have titled the sermon, he built a freaking wall. That's what I should have titled this. He said, we're going to build. So if you're going to fight, we'll have a trowel in one hand, laying some concrete, putting another brick. Laying some concrete, putting another brick. And in the other hand, we're going to have a sword and a spear. Come at me, bro. Come at me. And not only that, but they took took turns doing watches. And half of the people would work with a weapon in one hand and a trial in the other. And the other half stood back with a spear and a stinking bow. How awesome is that? Watching to see if the enemy would attack. And I love how Nehemiah reminded them, Listen, God, who is greater than our enemy, is for you. So let us build and let us fight. And what did he say? He didn't say let us fight for this wall. He didn't say let us fight for this city. He said we're not fighting for a what? We're fighting for a who? For your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your husbands, your wives, and your homes. Can I just tell you something? At the movement church, we are not fighting for a what? We are fighting for a who? But listen to me. Our weapons are not swords and spears, but intentionality and love. Why? Because the people who need to know it are your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. And you're thinking, man, you sound so angry right now, Pastor Kerry. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at an enemy, an adversary, who is trying to pick off people and families in this county. Only 10% of 3.1 million people in this county actually attend church. 2.7 million people who may not know the hope of who Jesus is. I'm a pastor and I went through a dark season. I can't imagine not having the keys to hope and the word of God. I can't imagine going through this life without knowing that God has a future for me. That he is the one who began a good work and he will be faithful to complete it. We don't fight for a what, we fight for a who. Grammatically it's a whom, but get over it. It's your family, your co-workers. So what do we do? We serve to build the house of God. We cross the hall, there's an army of men and women right now who aren't just babysitting your kids. They're speaking life and future into your kids. In theater three, Joe Boyd is sweating right now, jumping around and dancing. And your kids love Pastor Joe because he gives it all. He leaves it on the table. Why? Because he knows that if we can inspire a seven, an eight, a 10, 11-year-old, To know who Jesus is, man, we can help change statistics in this county. We have people who brew coffee every Sunday morning at the butt crack of dawn. Yes, I said it. Why? So you can come in and have a fresh cup of coffee and enjoy your Sunday morning and bring a friend. And there's no issues, no struggles. A team who does leads worship and they practice week in and week out. Why? Because they're building the house of God, but it doesn't stop there. We pray, we survey, we build. But what are we building for? It's not a what, it's a whom. So we invite. That's how we fight this battle. We We invite. We invite. We tell our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, those that don't know God, those that are far from God, those that are looking for God, those that are looking for hope. Hey, come with me to church. Maybe you'll experience something you've never experienced before. Maybe life doesn't have to be this way. One of the most famous philosophers, Plato, he wrote an allegory in The Republic, I believe Volume 5. He said, imagine prisoners deep into a cave. They'd been there their entire lives. Chained in a manner where they could only face the wall of the cave. Unable to look to the right or the left or behind. They could only see the cave wall. Behind them was a fire. That would cast light on the wall of the cave. Between the fire and the prisoners was a raised walkway. And every day. Different things would cross this walkway. People and animals traveling to and from market, doing their everyday thing, making noises and talking. And this fire would cast a shadow of the travelers onto the wall. And the prisoners would hear the echoes of the travelers on the walkway. And they would assume that the shadows and the echoes were reality. For it was all that they ever knew. It was the only thing they had ever experienced. And Plato said, imagine if one prisoner got free. And traveled outside of the cave. And experienced light. And not only light, but the true source of light, the sun. And began to see these objects, but not the shadows... The reality and the truth of these objects. Experiencing things he had never experienced before. A new reality forming for the now freed prisoner. Plato muses, wouldn't it be the responsibility of the freed prisoner to go back into the cave and to set the prisoners free? That they could experience the truth of the light. Isn't that what our objective is? We pray. We survey the walls of our life to make sure we're changing and rearranging the things that God wants us to work on. And we commit our life with the skills that we have to helping build the church. Why? Because the church is the hope of the world. I'm not talking about the movement church. I'm talking about God's church. Why? Because it gives the message of who Jesus is. But it's not enough that we just build. We have to also invite. To find the other prisoners. To say, hey. This may not be the only reality. Maybe, just maybe. God has something better for you. Who do we invite? It's your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, the people that you do life with, the people who are far from God and need to know God. That's what we do. We are not fighting to build a what. We are fighting to build a who. People. To say there's a hope and a future. What I love about the story of Nehemiah is that they did it. Nehemiah's resolve, the resolve of the people to face all opposition, to face the discouragement thrown at them, to face the feelings of inadequacy inadequacy and isolation. They just built the wall. And the Bible says that he did so in record time in just 52 days. In just 52 days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Why? Because everyday ordinary people like you and me just said, Hey, I can do this and I can do that. Let's come together. And what's amazing about this story is that once the walls were built and established, the rest of the Jews that were in captivity slowly began to come home. Why? Because there was a place for them to belong. Hey, Christ, follower, look at me. You are a watchman. You are a watchman. You hold the keys of truth and hope. It's our responsibility to pray. Say, God, would you move in this region and would you give me the strength to stand and to fight? It's our responsibility to survey the walls of our life and and allow God to do something powerful in us so that he can do something through us. Hey, Christ follower, it's our responsibility to help build the local church. Why? Because we're creating a home where anybody can belong. And it's our responsibility to invite and to say, hey, let me invite you to do my church to see what it is that God might be doing. You are created to be a watchman. Pray, survey, build. Hey, let me just take a few seconds to talk to those of you who are here today. And, and maybe you're, you're not really sure where you stand with your faith. Maybe you're here and you say, man, Pastor Carrie time I try to experience this God or to pray, I feel a gap. I can identify with the story that you told of anxiety and depression or, or anything else. I just feel there's a gap, a separation between me and God. And I can't ever seem to break through that barrier. Well, you know, the Bible actually talks about that gap. In fact, it's called a sin gap. But you're not isolated only under sin. Hey, everybody in this room has sin in their life. And the, the consequences for sin are very grave and sobering. The payment, the ransom for sin is death and an eternity in hell. Hell is just complete separation from God for eternity. And that's bleak and sobering, but the Bible offers a radical solution. In fact, it calls it a gift. God sent Jesus to this earth, not just to be a great guy with cool hair, but he died on the cross to pay the ransom and the consequences for your sin and mine. He was the ultimate payment for you and for me. And it's a free gift. You don't have to get perfect You don't have to have a great church attendance record. You don't have to have a long-term faith background with parents who are raised in the church. You don't have to do any of that stuff. In fact, you can't do anything except for say yes to who Jesus is. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to challenge you right where you're seated in your own heart to repeat after me. If that's you and you want to close that gap and experience God for the fullness of who He is, when I pray that prayer, I want to challenge you. Repeat it after me in your own heart. We're not going to embarrass you and ask you to get out of your seat. But don't leave today without closing that gap. And hey, look at me. Today, if you're a Christ follower in here, you've kind of been around church for a while, and you've been running from God, today's the day to come back. When we pray that prayer, I want to challenge you to pray it with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. That's you. You've never prayed this prayer. It's time to come running back. As we pray this, would you just mean it from the depths of your heart? In fact, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray it out loud so no one is embarrassed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just repeat after me. Everybody in this room, just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know you've given me purpose. But I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me of my sin? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for me. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.